Welcome to On the Way with Tony Chris. Each weekday, Dr. Chris will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Chris. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 209. Well, over the last few days and podcast, we have been looking at various and random elements of the Passover meal, a night to remember when the people of God met God in the Passover and remembered his great redemptive work. And so last podcast, I talked to you about the seating arrangement. And for some of you, that was an eye-opener because you perhaps are still thinking of Da Vinci's 15th century painting called The Last Supper, which is a European idea of the Passover meal. But it's inaccurate. Now, Da Vinci did the best that he could with what he had. But the fact is that the Jews were the people to whom God has given the oracles of God, the covenants, all of the rituals, all of the things that Jesus, when he came to this earth, lived out in front of the people, rejected those that distracted and detracted from a person's knowledge and walk with God in the true righteous way. But much of the tradition that the Jews had been doing for hundreds of years, Jesus latched onto and walked out and gave the full meaning of what those rituals meant. And certainly concerning the Torah, Jesus was faithful to keep every word of the Torah just as it was. And the reason is, is because he is the one who gave the Torah. He is the Lord of all. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. But he's not only Lord of the Sabbath, he's Lord of every day of the week. And when they ate this Passover meal together, Jesus gave them new insight as to his part in that Passover meal and what it would become to every follower of Jesus from that night forward. So we talked about the seating arrangement. We talked about John and where he would have sat at that first position on one end of the table and Peter at the first position on the other end of the table across from John and the Lord Jesus and Judas who would have been in the guest seat of honor just behind Jesus. Remember all of them were on their left side all the way around the table and if you can just picture that in your mind, they would have been angled in, facing the table where they could eat very easily and comfortably. Remember they're reclining, they're not stiff statues and so they're not in all just exactly in line but they are all in the right position, just where God wanted them to be that night. And remember, it was John who was near Jesus and stationed right in front of him so he could lean back on his bosom and almost whisper in his ear. That's exactly what he did on one occasion. Now, John, as I mentioned last night, was there because he was a trusted friend, and we'll go into that more in future podcasts. 
but also John was the youngest. And during the Passover, part of what the Jews in their great wisdom did was include the children from as early as they possibly could so that they would hear this Passover story over and over again. And so elements had to be added that would get the children involved. They can't just sit there like statues. They were to participate, and that would help and enhance their learning. That was exactly what they did. And so remember, this was primarily a family meal. What Jesus did with his disciples was not the common thing because most Passovers were ate in a home with one family, maybe two or some relatives together. But this was a band of men who had been together and Jesus wanted them to eat this Passover on this particular year because he knew what was about to happen. And so children were always there, but the principle still the same. John was the youngest of all the men that was there, and so he was assigned to ask the question. Now, someone may say, why wasn't the oldest asking the questions? Would not that be the pecking order? Well, you see, there's only one oldest, and so that means that he would ask the questions every year. That wouldn't help the younger children. And so the Jews wisely said the youngest child, as soon as they're able to, can ask the questions and should ask the questions. And so John was the youngest, so he asked the questions. By the way, that's why Peter, when he wanted to know the answer to a question, he didn't ask himself. No, he motioned to John and said, John, you ask him, basically. And uh, he might have even mouthed it to him. Uh, Whatever the case is, John just leaned back because of his position on the bosom of Jesus, on his chest, and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And Jesus readily answered him. Why? Because John was assigned to ask the questions that night, and it was part of the story. You see, it was not the story of Passover or the betrayal. No, it was the present story that Jesus was writing that will develop in uh, the last week, just a couple of weeks away. But part of what the order of service was all about was getting the children involved. And part of that was after the taking of the second cup, There was a time during the Passover liturgy and the Haggadah that the youngest child would ask a series of questions. Now, remember, the reason for everything was to tell the story of Passover in an illustrative way so that it would never be forgotten. The whole thing was a glorified object lesson designed to weld and burn in the heart of every person there, old and young, who God is, what God has done, his relationship to his people, his great faithfulness to do what he said he would do, and his power to be able to do what he said he would do, no matter what the odds are. And so that's exactly what happened. And so that night there would be, of course, the cups that we've talked about and we'll talk about in great detail in the coming days. But there was the retelling of the story from Exodus chapter 12. And there were a lot of things that went into that. But one of the great ways that the children were involved is the youngest asked a series of four questions. And these four questions were designed to give the same answer and to answer the question, this one question, 
Why is this night different from all other nights? Because the children were uh, in a different atmosphere than they usually were. There was great ceremony. There was great preparation for this. And so it was important that they understood why this night, why all of this celebration, why all of this ritual, why are we doing what we're doing? Now, when I was growing up, you didn't ask why, because you'd get disciplined. If you ask why, that's not the best way of teaching. Sometimes there is a need for rapid obedience without asking questions, but that's not the norm in life. We need to teach our children why we do what we do, because then they will be able to understand it, and not just because we said so, because we won't always be around to say so. They need to understand why they're doing what they're doing, because it is the right thing before God to do, and because there is reason, there's logic, there is the ability to... To analyze something and after analysis to act properly in order and in line with the keeping of the words of God. And so this question, why is this night different from all other nights, was ascertained, the answer was ascertained rather, through a series of four questions. And the four questions went something like this. On all other nights, we eat either leavened or unleavened bread, but why on this night do we only eat matzo. Second question, on all other nights we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we only eat bitter herbs? A third question, on all other nights we do not dip herbs in water. Why on this night do we dip herbs in salt water and the bitter herbs in kerosene, which was a sweet mixture that represented mortar? Fourth question, on all other nights we eat sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we all recline? Now these questions were the same questions that every family asked Every gathering asked every year the very same questions. You couldn't just do what you want to do. Why? Because they were all learning the same thing at the same time. Now, this is why I think it's important. Let me just say parenthetically, for those of you who are pastors and those of you who are Bible teachers, this is why it is important if you're going to have what we call Sunday school or you're going to have group studies at your church when everybody's studying, they all need to be studying the same thing. Why? So you can discuss it at home. It's not the youth over here doing their own thing, the students, and then you've got the children over here doing their own thing, and every Bible teacher doing that which is right in his own eyes, and he's got this special study, and he's got this hobby horse he's going to ride. Everybody needs to study the same thing. The rabbi, the pastor needs to lay that out for them, teach them, so they can then turn around and teach it to someone else. But we've gotten so independent-minded in our churches that you always have someone that wants to butt and kick the barn door down, leave the church, and try to take half the church with them if they don't like what's being taught. And I would say to anybody that has that mindset, go off and begin your own church so you can do your own thing and let everybody else in the church do their own thing, and you see how long it'll last. Okay, I told you it was a digression. It was a by the way. So now let's get back to the Passover. When you ask these questions, they are designed every year to have the same answer. Now, I'm not talking about a rote answer. I'm not talking about that everybody has to say the same words or read the same thing. But the main thing is that the story is told with the main points. What are you trying to get across? That this night is a special night. And there are reasons for it being special night and eating special foods. And so the question is, 
On all other nights, we eat leaven, that is, bread that has had time to rise and has air bubbles in it and has texture to it, or unleavened bread at times. Why on this night do we only eat matzo? Well, the answer is, is because unleavened bread is a reminder of the rapidity, of the haste that they had to leave very quickly. God said, don't put yeast in your bread because when I say move, you've got to be ready to move. It was rapid obedience because God was going to send them out with a strong and mighty arm and he didn't want them waiting around for yeast to rise in bread and cook their bread because he said, I want you to eat this bread as a reminder that you're going out in quick and rapid obedience. This matzo, this dough, without letting it have time to rise, takes from the time you put get the dough together till you're eating it's about 18 to 20 minutes now that's pretty quick for cooking bread the person would answer that affirmatively in the way that I just did, something to that effect, but certainly with more elaboration and eloquence. On all other nights, second question, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat bitter herbs? Well, the answer has to be around the Exodus chapter 12 passage, which this whole series of questions is built around so that Exodus story and what we call chapter 12 can be told. Bitter herbs are a reminder of the body in Egypt. You would deal with that from Exodus chapter 1 through 11. You would tell the story. You see, you're, you're rehearsing the book of Exodus. Why? Because it is the echodas. In Greek, it is the way out. And so you are teaching the book of Exodus this night in microcosm, in just a summary fashion. The third question on all other nights, we do not dip herbs in water. Why on this night do we dip herbs in salt water and the bitter herbs in keroseth? Keroseth, we'll learn next week, is a sweet mixture that represented the mortar of the bricks. And so the answer would be the herbs in the salt water are a reminder of new life and new beginning. The bitter herbs in the sweet kerosene are a reminder of the bitter slavery sweetened by the hope of freedom. You see, people who are in bondage die without hope. Hope is expectancy. And it is hope that sets people free. Yes, hope. Because if you're expecting nothing, then you're living for nothing. And so that was all explained during this questioning by the youngest person of the family. Fourth question on all other nights, we eat sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we all recline? The answer obviously had to be centered around this concept. Reclining was a sign of a free man, and since our ancestors were freed on this night, we recline. You see, this story is being told. And over the years, what I have seen, the great failure of the church of Jesus and why we are dying as a church, I believe, is not because we don't stress evangelism. I've never heard more about the Great Commission in all my life, and I've never seen less of it being done. But there's something more important than the Great Commission. I hope everybody hears me. There's something more important than the Great Commission. That's the Great Commandment. That's loving God with the totality of your being, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and then loving other people in the way that God's loved you, in the way that God has given you love in your own life. You are to share that with others. I'll tell you, if we love God the way we need to and love one another and treated people the way we need to, winning souls to Jesus would be a cinch. The fact is, 
that one of the main turnoffs for anybody who is lost without Christ is the lives of many of those of us that are witnessed by those who are lost and our lack of commitment. And so what I'm saying to you is there has to be, there has to be hope in a man's life and the hope, the expectancy that one day they will be free. All of this was part of the Passover meal, to pass it on, to remind the children and the next generation and remind her to themselves that they were not there by happenstance. They were not there by chance. They were eating that meal because God in his grace and his mercy and his love and his power and his redemption and in his justice had freed them and made them free men. God supernaturally created the lineage of promise and God supernaturally delivered the children of Israel from bondage so that he could take them to Sinai and constitute them as a nation and fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and take them into the land. All of that started with a Passover. Wow, we've got a lot in front of us. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.